Welcome to the Generations Church Podcast. This is Brian Nugent, and I'm the pastor at Generations Church. Thanks for listening today. We hope this message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. For more information about Generations Church and its ministries, check out our webpage at gctlh.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter. Man, it's an honor to be here. It's an honor to share with you this morning. You know, I want Pastor Brian's vacation philosophy because he gets up here on Sunday morning and tells you how much his wife and his daughters like to spend and then tells you they get to max out the credit card. So I don't know about you, but I want his, his vacation philosophy. Man, that's, that's so, but we're glad to have you back. We're glad that you're rested. If, uh, if anybody around here deserves uh, the rest and relaxation, it's Pastor Brian and Miss Becky. Um, are you grateful for them this morning? Yeah. Yeah, I'm, in, I'm excited. I'm excited for what God's going to do. Uh, I don't know about you, but I've been, I've been just in awe of what God's been doing around here. Uh, just watching the Spirit move and, and God just kind of fall in this place every Wednesday and Sunday. And um, man, I'm just excited for what He's going to do today. So I've got three hours of notes and about 40 minutes to preach it. So we're going to roll through this thing pretty quick this morning. Amen. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 11. Uh, and as you're turning there, I want to give you a, a kind of a summary and catch you up to where we're at at this point. Um, Acts chapter 11 uh, is, is kind of the turning point. It's kind of the turning chapter of the book of Acts. And so if we don't catch up to where we're at, we can't really uh, kind of see where we're going. But uh, Pastor Brian and Pastor Bo have stated in prior weeks, Acts picks up from one of the saddest days in history, which is the death of Jesus, and quickly moves into the explosion of the church. We see it exemplified throughout the text where Jesus states that it would be better for him to go away and for the Holy Spirit to come. And so you see Acts recording the first 30 years of the church, which includes the experiences of the followers of Christ uh, with the Holy Spirit in the upper room on Pentecost, some 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus. And uh, not only do we see those events detailed, but we meet these uh, kind of biblical icons as we walk through the first 10 chapters of the book of Acts, we see a revived Peter who comes out of this place where he just got done denying Jesus, witnesses Jesus' death and resurrection, witnesses the upper room experience, and then now you see kind of this revived kind of minister who's going out and is willing to kind of break down walls and break down doors. And so uh, we're reminded in Peter that God can use anyone. Your past doesn't define you. It doesn't define your present. It doesn't define your future. That God wants to use you no matter the circumstances or situations that you've come out of. And that includes a Peter moment where he denied Jesus three times. He still can use you. We meet Saul a few, uh, just a few chapters ago. We met Saul, where you see a man who was a Pharisee, a man who was uh, raised in a very strict religious household, a very strict religious environment where he followed all the rules and requirements of the Jewish faith. But Saul also spent his time going from town to town persecuting believers and persecuting the followers of Christ, including this moment that we see in chapter 7 and 8 where he is overseeing the stoning of Stephen. You've got Stephen, who is uh, another character, another biblical icon that we meet, uh, a man who is willing to be martyred for his belief in who Jesus was, a man who is willing to be martyred for his faith. And we see Saul overseeing the very act 
that kills Stephen for what he believes in. But then uh, the script kind of changes and we see Saul on the road to Damascus where he's headed to the next place of Christian persecution. And he has this powerful experience with Jesus on his way, right? He's made blind. He has this experience where he sees the glory of Jesus before him. And uh, through that experience, he becomes a believer himself. And uh, Pastor Brian so uh, detailed for us so well that no one is beyond the love and the grace and the mercy of God's love. Nobody's heart is too hard for God to transform us. And that you have an opportunity even today, no matter uh, what you've done, what you've been through, what you've walked through, you have an opportunity today for the love of God to invade your heart and find you right where you are. We meet Ananias, who God called to go to Saul and lay hands on Saul and pray for him to be healed and filled with the Holy Spirit. And we're reminded of the importance of allowing God to work through us because you never know the impact or the life transformation that God will make through your obedience. And then finally, as Pastor Bo so eloquently detailed for us last week, we're introduced to Cornelius in chapter 10, who is a devout, God-fearing prayer warrior, Roman soldier. He spent so much of his time in prayer, and then during one of his prayer times, God sends an angel instructing him to go get Peter and have this interaction with Peter. And uh, this was after Peter's vision that we learned about in chapter 10, and we're going to talk a little bit about again. And they simultaneously have this vision of God pertaining to uh, the breaking of some of the Jewish traditions, which we later find out is God's way that the gospel, to say that the gospel of Jesus and the kingdom of heaven is for everybody. It's for everybody. All of these uh, messages and details and uh, kind of depictions of the book of Acts are available on Facebook, Instagram. We're going to go into some of these today, so I encourage you, um, if what I'm saying today as we sum all that up doesn't make sense, I encourage you, go back and listen to those. Um, get kind of caught up because we still got like 15 chapters or something to get through in Acts, so we're going to be rolling in this thing for a while and uh, we want to make sure that you've got all the good stuff. Um, but like I said, Acts chapter 11, the turning point, if you look at verse 1 with me, it says, The apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, You went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. So as you can tell, Peter has made his way back to Jerusalem. You know, he, was, he, was, um, he completed his time in Joppa. Him and Cornelius had their interaction in chapter 10. And now he's standing before the Jewish re uh, religious leaders back in Jerusalem. Um, this is also where he had um, the original vision before him and Cornelius got together. And they had received word from all over that Peter had gone into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. And note, because the Bible's very clear here, in verse 2 it says, uh, the circumcised believers were critical of Peter. But understand what's going on here, because a lot of times we'll hear this verse and we'll make the issue about circumcision, circumcision and eating unclean, right? Well, we've heard sermons uh, untold about, about circumcision and, and eating unclean, but the, the issue here is not circumcision at all. The issue here is the practice of religious, uh, 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 or is the, uh, the issue of religious practice. The issue here is that before a Gentile could be saved by God, they had to vow to become 
a Jewish person. They had, to, they had to devout themselves to the Jewish faith. So the issue here is not about circumcision. It's not about unclean eating, but rather that these people were being offered a gospel that the Jewish religious leaders did not feel belonged to them. As we just got done saying in chapter 10, the gospel is for everybody, right? Jesus is for everybody. But here are the Jewish religious leaders saying, I don't think so. That's not what I've read. That's not what I've known. That's not what I've taught, been taught. That's not what I've practiced. And in order for a Gentile to become Jewish, they had to do three things. They had to be circumcised. They had to commit themselves to the law of Moses, and uh, that entails following all 613 laws that you find in the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Bible, um, where you see Moses and all his history. There's 613 Jewish laws throughout that text that, that the Jewish believers had to follow or else they were deemed not worthy or unworthy. And so uh, they had to be circumcised, they had to commit themselves to the law of Moses, and then on top of following the 613 laws, they had to observe all of the ceremonies and rituals of Judaism. So not only were they walking this thing out day to day to make sure that they were clean, but then they were doing things like on the Sabbath, they didn't do anything, right? And so that was on top of the Jewish law. And so the point here is this, is that these religious leaders had found themselves in a faith where they had to continue to work and work and work to maintain their faith. In order to be seen or deemed as worthy by God, they had to follow all of these rules. And then here Peter is, he goes to this this body of believer or this church and he says, you know what? It's for everybody. You don't have to have lived the Jewish faith. You don't have to have done these things. Here it is, right? Jesus came and he died and he he solved that big issue for everybody. So here it is. And so these Jewish believers are like, these Jewish uh, religious leaders are like, time out. We time out. You see, uh, and Pastor Bo spoke some on this last week where he talks about the differences between the Jewish culture and the Gentile culture and the levels of discrimination that were between the two bodies and how Jewish people of the area and the time felt like they were above the Gentile culture, which is again why they felt like these people were not worthy because they were less than maybe people. But I find it awfully sad. That in a moment where God has just made a way for every man, woman, and child to become a follower of Jesus Christ, or in other words, an heir to the kingdom of heaven, that these religious leaders could not seem to get past their religiosity. It was all about the religious practice and very, and very little about the man who just broke the bonds of eternal slavery. You see, their spirits should have been rejoicing that some people who were deemed as less than worthy were now able to be saved and brought to the knowledge of Christ, and yet they missed it. And my question to you this morning as we kick off chapter 11 is this, what God moments are we missing as the church and as believers because of our own religiosity? You see, unfortunately, we get so focused on the how that we forget the who and the why. 
We get so focused and committed to our religious form, our ceremonies, our rituals, our rules, our regulations, what I can and cannot do, what the lights look like behind me, the fact that I'm wearing sneakers and jeans and not a suit with a tie. We get so caught up in the mess that we forget that Jesus is enough for my sin and your sin and that he came because God loved you enough. You see, the who is Jesus Christ. The why is that he came and he died on a cross. He rose again three days later. Now he sits at the right hand of the Father in heaven to one day return for those who believe in him. He sent the Holy Spirit to dwell and to comfort and to guide us. And I couldn't think of a better way to sum it up than the way that Pastor Bo summed it up last week. And we've said it already. But that Jesus is for everybody. You see, so my question is, if Jesus is for everybody, what religious strongholds are we captivated by that are keeping us from recognizing that we all need a Savior? You see, we've got to fight the true spirit of legalism. As I stated before, we're witnessing a moment where God is making a way for men to know him. And here is a group of people who are more concerned with violating who he's eating with and who he's hanging out with. You see, the Bible says, uh, or Jesus says to Peter, he says, upon you I will build my church. He says, Peter, it's you that I'm going to build my church with. And Peter is living and walking that out in this moment. He is physically building the church of Jesus Christ to Jew and to Gentile. And there is a group of people who says no. You see, so what as believers do we have to establish in our hearts so that we can ensure that we remain faithful and avoid religious tradition. It's, it's some of these things. We should be Christ-centered. As we just said, that's the who. We exist because Christ came. We worship because Christ came. We love because Christ came. It is what it, the Bible says that while we were still sinners, in other words, while we did not matter, God came because we mattered to him. We've got to be biblically established, deeply rooted in the word of God. This is the only thing that will allow us to stand firm in an ever-shifting world. I kind of chuckled. I made this note. I didn't include it, but I'll say it. Uh, I made this note while I was doing my studying and getting ready for this. And I said, uh, do we really think that culture is going to make it easier to believe in Jesus? Because culture is going to continually shift. We've seen it 2,000 years ago. We've seen it hundreds of years ago. We see it today. Culture is ever moving. Culture is shifting depending on where you live right now. Because the, 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 the shifting culture is different here in Florida than it is maybe in New York or the, across the United States, which is different than China, which is different than... In- culture is a shifting uh, spe- uh, pendulum. But the word of God remains steadfast. Be biblically established. Are you spirit inspired? Are you led and guided by the spirit? We're going to talk a little bit more about that later on. But but the Bible says that I will bring you power by the spirit. I will bring you power. We got to be missions focused. You see, the purpose of the gospel is that all nations and every creature come to the saving power of Christ. 
That was, that was Peter's gospel. That was Peter's initiative. Was that Jew, Gentile, it didn't matter who you were, what you were, is that every person, man, woman, or child that could hear the gospel would come to the saving power of Jesus. And you hear it over and over again through the Gospels, through the New Testament. It says go to all nations. It says go to all the world. It doesn't eliminate not one area or one person. Jesus is for everybody. We gotta be missions focused and we gotta be outreach driven. We gotta be outreach driven. You see, it says religion, this is James 1 uh, verse 27, it says religion that is pure and holy before God. Religion that is pure and holy before God is this, to visit orphans uh, and widows. God wants us to take care of those that can't take care of themselves. Because that's, show, that's what shows the love of Jesus. The Bible says that you, they will know that you love me by the way that you love them. Now that's ad-libbed a little bit, but that, that, that's what the Bible says. It's that they will know that you love me by the way that you love them. And why is that important? Because Jesus didn't just come for you and I. To come to church on Sunday, as Pastor Brian was talking about just a minute ago, uh, punch our clock or, uh, you know, check our box that we did it or, you know, check in on Facebook or Instagram and say, hey, I'm here. Like, God didn't come just for that. He didn't come just so we would feel good about ourselves, walk out this door and then do it again in a week. Christ came so that all men would come to the saving power of Jesus Christ and in doing so would find a love so captivating that it would drive us to action and be the church. Which is why it's so important that you tell your story. Acts chapter 11 verse 4, we're going to keep going in our passage of scripture. It says, starting from the beginning, Peter told them the whole story. He didn't leave anything out. And if you read verses 5 to like 16, it is exactly what they talked about in, verse 10, or in chapter 10. Like almost every word. To the point where like Pastor Bo and I were talking about what chapters we were going to do and how it was going to transition smoothly. And uh, uh, Pastor Brian gave us some, some kind of some flexibility and some leeway as to where we were going to head in this thing and how many chapters we were going to take. And so when Pastor Bo and I started talking about this, we're like, well, like the first half of chapter 11 is chapter 10 all over again. So we might as well just skip it. But then in my studying and my looking at it, I started to really dive deep into what chapter 11 is saying here. And it's just a great reminder of the grace of God. And Peter's desire to make known this encounter with God that he has had, this vision of, of the door opening for not only Jews, but for Gentiles and for every man, woman, and child to have this opportunity. And, and to be honest with you, I think the author of Acts, uh, who's Luke, he's, he's trying to make this emphasis or this point that, hey, this is probably somewhere you should slow down and pay attention if it was good enough for me to tell you in chapter 10 and repeat in chapter 11, it's probably good enough for you to focus in on. And what is the importance? The importance is exactly what we've said about a hundred times already this morning is that Jesus is for everybody. And I can't say it enough because we come to church on Sundays and I'm guilty of it too, but sometimes we forget it. And I say, Jesus is for me. And yes, Jesus is for me. 
But he's for every person in these seats. He's for every person that's watching online. He's for every person that we as Generation Church have not had an encounter with yet. Jesus, if we believe he is good enough for us, should be good enough for every man, woman, or child. And so he goes on in Acts chapter 11. Uh, I'm going to skip over to 17 and 18 because, again, you heard what uh, like 5 through 16 were about last week. And he says, so if God gave them the same gift he gave us, who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? Who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? And then when the religious leaders heard this, they had, excuse me, they had no further objections, no further objections, and praised God, saying, so then, even to the Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. So we go immediately in like 15 verses from the religious leaders criticizing Peter for all that he had told the Gentiles, hearing Peter's story, and all of a sudden believing that God was granting repentance that gives life to the Gentiles. What is the bridge that brought them from critique to praise? It was Peter's story. It was Peter's story. So I'm reminded in this moment, as we talk about the opportunity that we all have to become believers in Jesus, and the opportunity that we all have to offer the hurting and broken people around us, the opportunity to come into a a powerful, life-giving relationship with Christ, we all have a story. That story of salvation or the moment when you encountered Jesus in a real and powerful way, The Bible says we overcome by the blood of the Lamb, which is what Jesus did, and the word of our testimony. In other words, uh, praise God for what he did, and then tell people about it. And that's how we overcome. When things get hard, when things get difficult, when you want to give up, you overcome by what Jesus did on a cross and what Jesus has done in your life. And there is nothing else in between. We've talked about, we talked about it a few months ago with Pastor Brian's uh, Best Day Ever mission. Or our church, really it's our churches, it just was an idea of Pastor Brian's. With shirts and videos talking about what is your best day ever? What is that moment? What is your story? Because your, your story is important to people coming to know the saving power and grace of Jesus. And I can tell you, I don't know every story here. I don't know what you've experienced in a lot of cases. I don't know how weird you might think your story is or messed up your story might sound. But I can tell you that there's purpose in your story. There is opportunity in your story. And we don't do this. Don't be ashamed of your story. You see, Peter knew the encounter he had. Peter knew the encounter he had. And it would have been real easy for him to deny Jesus one more time. But the encounter was too great. He couldn't miss the opportunity to tell his story. You see, I can imagine Peter telling the story with joy and excitement, with that exuberance. And you, you, you ever told somebody what Jesus has done in your life? And it's like the worst, most depressing thing that you're going through. And then all of a sudden Jesus shows up and this like kind of weird smile kind of shows up when you're telling somebody about it. That's how I felt like Peter was in this moment. 
They're like criticizing him. What did you do? Why did you do this? They're not allowed into the kingdom of heaven. You know, they're like, they're, they're blasting him, right? And then all of a sudden, Peter's like, wait a second. This is what God did. You know, and there's many of us in this place today, we've had a similar encounter with, with God, where we've been walking through some circumstances, we've been walking through some pain, and God met us right where we are, and like a light switch just kind of turned the whole thing around. My story is that as a child, my parents got into some legal trouble. They had to go away to, to jail for a little while, and I sat with my, as, as the oldest sibling of three, I sat on a bed in my grandparents' house where we were living with no answers to make the situation better for a couple of kids who had no idea what was going on other than mom and dad weren't home. And in tears one night, I had an encounter with God that he reminded me I am not alone, that I don't have to have all the answers that his grace and his peace is sufficient for me. And he will walk me through the dark places and he will lift me up. He guides me down paths that he's set before me. He promises me that I am a conqueror through Christ Jesus. That's my story, that there is more in Christ than there is in the emptiness of my circumstance. So what's your story? Can we give God just a clap of praise this morning for the saving power of Jesus? For the moments that he's brought us through, man, I love, I love that we all have stories. And uh, maybe one of these days we'll catch up, we'll go get coffee or something. I would love to hear your story. Because there's nothing more encouraging to my heart. And uh, I, I would venture to say of uh, this crew of pastors up on this front row, uh, there's nothing more encouraging to our hearts than to know what God has brought you through. So as we move forward, we're going to kick into verse 19, and we're introduced to the church in Antioch. We, make a, um, we get a true depiction of what Christ is building as his church. You see, we make a little bit of a detour here. We go out of Peter's scenario and circumstance, and um, I would venture to say that there's um, uh, maybe not a break, but there's, a, there's some time lapse between 18 and 19, and uh, you start to see, uh, you go from Peter's explanation of Gentiles being able to be offered the gospel to the establishment that was created for them to hear about this opportunity. So you shift now. We understand and we know that, that Peter's vision and God has granted uh, salvation to all men, all women, all children. And we've shifted now into the establishment of the church. So join with me here in verse 19. It says, Now those who have been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. So catch that. We're about, to, we're about to see this kind of transformational moment. Uh, right now, you see them, they get scattered all over the place because they can't stay uh, where they're being persecuted, right? They are literally killing them, i.e. Stephen a couple of chapters ago. So when they see Stephen get killed, they scatter, they run, they go to all of these places. But let me make something clear. They did not stop telling people about Jesus, so uh, uh, 
it, it's a, this beautiful depiction of there may be some scary places, but that doesn't change our mission. There may be some things going on, but we can always shift. And it doesn't mean that we stop the mission. It means that we alter the mission so that Jesus Christ can still be proclaimed. And so uh, we see this uh, outbreak to Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch where they're only spreading the gospel to Jews. So maintaining kind of the cultural uh, status quo. But then some of them, however, I love these transitional words in the Bible because they always point to something really good. Uh, It says, men from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and check this out, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. So now the author Luke moves right into the birth of the church. It's the birth of the church in Antioch, which uh, I want to give you a little history on Antioch and its significance, both the history and to the Bible. Uh, it was the third greatest city of the Roman world, following only Rome and Alexandria in size and importance. The city had over a half million citizens. Uh, there was a secular history and nature to this city. So think like Sin City of ancient times. Uh, The city of Antioch was founded by Seleucus Nicator around 300 B.C. and was named after his father, Antiochus. It became the capital of Syria when Rome conquered Syria and was dominated by Greek culture and language. And I don't know how much you know about Greek culture, language, history, but uh, the premise of Greek culture is that there are a number of gods that can be worshipped. Right? So when you talk about going to Antioch in a place where Greek culture is infiltrated and Greek culture is the majority, you're talking about a place that is kind of open to religious idea and philosophy because they already have all of these gods. So you're, you're, talking, you're talking about, um, you're talking, uh, that last statement of that passage of scripture is so powerful because of this. It says, a lot of them heard, a lot of them believed, and a lot of them turned to the Lord. You're talking about a, a, a pluralistic God culture turning to Jesus. Don't miss the significance in that. Because to be honest with you, there's some correlation to our world today and, and some of the deconstructionism of our faith in that we can believe whoever we want. You can believe, the same God that you believe that gets me into heaven is the same God that I believe. It doesn't matter if you're Buddhist, Hindu, or Christian. There's these multiple gods. And so this is what the Greek culture was saying is that there's all of these gods and they all get me to the same place. And then all of a sudden, they hear the gospel in Antioch and they're like, Jesus. I don't know about you, but that's my prayer for our country and our world, is that we as the church would be so established in some of the things we're going to talk about today, that when, when they hear the message and gospel of Jesus Christ, that they forget everything else that culture is throwing at them and say, Jesus, Jesus. Also, they were... Um, They were a great center for sport in the pursuit of pleasure. Again, I kind of mentioned this jokingly, the sin city of ancient times. Um, They were a port city, so there was a constant change of people coming through there. There was opportunity and, uh, and mobilization of that hub in the history of Antioch. But 
all of that to say that Antioch has a great importance in Christian history as well. It was the city of the first great Christian church among Gentiles. It was the city and church where the first uh, worldwide missionaries were sent. It was also the great mission thrust of Christianity being sent from. So they were the first established Christian church, the Gentiles. They had missionaries from Jerusalem sent to them, which we'll read about in a second. And then after the missionaries came, the missionaries led a group of people, kind of riled them up, and then sent them out. So keep all of this in mind as we start to talk about the church and the church of Antioch. It was also the church where believers were first called Christians which we'll read about here shortly. So uh, not only uh, do we witness the establishment of the church at Antioch, but we begin to see the word being preached to all men and great numbers of people finding uh, a belief in God. And this leads to the beginning of the evolution of the church. Uh, very quickly, mind you. All of this happens very quickly. But as we discuss the establishment and the growth of the church in Antioch, I couldn't help but kind of wrap my head around the thought of what should the church now look like? That if we take the principles of what Antioch uh, established, and if we took the principles of the believers of that time, what is it that we want or we know that the church should look like? And, and I'm talking about the global church. I'm also talking about Generations Church. You see, I love the local church. There is no place like the local church. There is nothing like gathering with like-minded believers in worship, having expressions of the Holy Spirit, getting together and shaking people's hands and wrapping your arm around them to hug and say, hey, how you doing? There's nothing like the local church when, it's, when you're walking through some scenarios, circumstances, and situations in your life that may be troubling. There's nothing like having a group of like-minded believers coming and walking it out with you and praying behind you and witnessing what God is going to do not only in your life, but walking through them with what he's doing in theirs. There's nothing like the local church. And if you're new with us, or maybe you've just visited a couple times, maybe you're still feeling us out, I want to say welcome. I want to say thank you. We're honored to have you. But two, let me encourage you in this. I'm not going to stand up here and pretend like I need to beg you to come to Generations Church. That's not my job. That's not pastor's job. Our job is to encourage you to find a place that has the foundational principles of what the church in Antioch established. So as we walk through those things today, all of these things that we're going to talk about today are core values of Generations Church. They are written in our core values. So everything I'm going to tell you today is a reminder of things that we've already discussed here. Because we believe them and we want to walk them out. But as you are church uh, searching, know that there is a home here for you. There is a place here for you. We welcome you. And I believe that this is the best church in Tallahassee because we live these things out. But if you don't feel that way, please, please, please. Find a church where you see these things. And if these things are missing as we go through them today, your, your, kinda, your, your, antenna, your spider senses, I hope, will go off. And for those of you who have been with us for a while, as I stated, these are our core values. We celebrate these things. This is our DNA as a church. This is who we are. 
And so this is not only this is the, this is not only the DNA that's got us to this point, but it's the DNA that's going to carry us because I believe the best days for Generations Church are ahead of us and not behind us. We are walking through a season where I think you are seeing that where the Spirit of God is moving and powerful in the midst of every service we have when we come here. And we give honor, glory, and praise to the only God who can make that happen. And so we continue, we continue uh, to pray that we would flourish as this being our DNA. And so we read through 19 to 21. To summarize it again, it says that, Uh, Some men from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch, began to speak to the Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. So what is the DNA of the church? The DNA of the church is that it's got to be Christ-centered. It's got to be Christ-centered. You see, they went to this place. They found people who at that point weren't sure if they were deemed worthy of the gospel, and yet they found him, or they found them, they found him in this place, and the Bible says they told him just about Jesus. They told him just about Jesus. And then they were, then their hearts were turned to believe. You see, if the church is not Christ-centered, we fail to operate under the mission that Christ is the cornerstone of the church. You're going to recognize all of these things as um, the ways to stay out of religiosity too, just to, in case you're taking notes. just thought I'd give you that. You see, there's power in the good news of Jesus. And we've talked about how the gospel is for everyone this morning already. But can I remind you that the gospel is still good news. It hasn't faltered. It hasn't changed. The power and saving grace of Jesus is still good for us. It is still good for the unsaved today. It is still good for the lost. It is still good for the broken. It is still good for those that feel damaged and hurting. The good news is still good news. But I look at verse 21, it says, The Lord's hand was with with them. You see, without the Lord's hand, the gospel is just another story. Without the life-giving power of the resurrection, I don't know if the good news is good news. But because Christ defeated death, because His blood shed for you and I, and because it's still working and moving today, There is power in the good news. And nothing that we do here at Generations Church can be done without knowing that Jesus is at the center of it. He's the very reason that we gather. He's the very reason that our faith exists. His name is above every name. His name is the only name by which man can be saved. We see it throughout this chapter uh, within Peter's story that God's hand was on the entirety of Peter's situation. So not only is the good news powerful because God's hand was in it, but the fact that you and I as Gentiles have an opportunity to accept salvation happened because of Jesus Christ. 
It was the Lord speaking to him. It was the Lord commanding him. It was the Holy Spirit's instruction. The Holy Spirit fell. It was a vision from God. You see it over and over again in Peter's story that everything about what happened to Peter revolved around the working power of Jesus and God in heaven. We have to be Christ-centered. Go to verse 22. It says, News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. The church has got to be missions focused. We've got to be missions focused. You see, here in Acts 11.22, we witnessed the very first uh, missionary sent to the Gentile church. It was Barnabas who was chosen by the church in Jerusalem, the mother church, we'll call it, and he was sent to Antioch to tell people the good news of Jesus. Uh, He was sent for the edification and encouragement of the body body of believers in Antioch. He was sent there, one, to be ministerial help. He was sent there, two, to give exhortation or to preach. He was sent there, three, to teach. You just witnessed that in the missions video a little bit ago. Coincidental that that was the one that popped up, huh? Uh, They're talking about establishing the church. They're talking about going into all the world, into, into Africa, into South America, and into Europe, into other international ministries. And, and how is it that they're doing that? Well, it's because there are churches like Generations Church that want to be like the church in Jerusalem, and we want to send people out so that people can hear the gospel. You see, there are areas that are so desperate for the gospel but have never had anyone sent there. You see, that's why we send those that are called to establish churches in those areas. That's why we build fellowship with people groups that desperately need the gospel, like Chi Alpha on our campuses that are going to be kicking up here in just a few weeks. That's why we send so that people can go into the woods and jungles of all of these countries and speak in dialects and languages of people that have never had an opportunity. That's why we send. The Bible says that the harvest is plenty, but the workers are few. And how will people know if someone is not sent? It doesn't say if somebody won't go. It says, how will they know if somebody's not sent? It is the church's job to be missions focused. So we've got to be a church that sends. And we're doing a lot of that. I was talking to Pastor Brian this morning. We... Uh, we partner with uh, or somewhere right around 100 missionaries. I, I think our list online is at 99. Um, so we, we need some help getting that three-digit mark. Um, but we sponsor them monthly with somewhere around $5,200 a month. We send that out. As he said earlier, everything that's given to missions goes directly out 100% back to the mission field because if we as a church don't recognize that the gospel is still good news and we're not willing to send then how selfish are we as a church to just hold on to that you ever had a gift you ever had like a present at birthdays i'm the worst gift giver 
Because I get something that I know my wife or kids are going to like, and I, I'm really good because I'll go on there like three weeks before, before the event, and I'll order it because I got like a deal or something, right? And I put it in the closet, and I'm like, and then like a week before their birthday, I'm like, here, honey, here's your gift. Because I, there's just so much pent-up excitement and joy about the gift that I'm going to give. And if that, if we as the church have got to get that way about the gospel, we've got to be so pent-up excited about what the gospel can do in other people's lives that we can't hang on to it, so instead we send. Not only do we sponsor 100 missionaries not only do we send them $5,200 a month, but over the last 13 months, we've given over $125,000 directly to the missions field. In addition to, to all that monthly stuff that I just talked about, that's above and beyond. And so I thank you for your faithfulness. I thank you for your faithfulness because our DNA as Generation Church is to be missions-focused. And we don't know how it happens. We don't know why it happens. We don't know why God continues to allow our cup to overflow. But I can promise you that because we are missions-focused church, we are going to continue to be good stewards of everything that comes within these doors. Everything. And before we move on, I just want to point out one thing. This one's free. I want to mention the the way the Bible describes Barnabas. I kind of skipped over it because I didn't have like a good like church DNA point to bring to it. But the Bible says this of Barnabas. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. What a better mark to strive to than those three things right there. To be good, to be full of the Holy Spirit, and to be full of faith. And it was because of this that Barnabas saw a great impact to the kingdom. And many people, because of Barnabas, came to know the Lord. And this is what I'm reminded of. You know, uh, when we read this passage of Scripture, it talks about this moment that Barnabas had. Right, this, uh, Great numbers in this moment came to know the Lord. But I wonder if we were to do the whole pyramid tracking back to see how many of uh, the, the, the little uh, royal rangers that Barnabas taught. I wonder how many of them brought people to Jesus. I wonder how many people were in Barnabas' connect group that without him bringing people to Jesus, told some people their story, and because of them, uh, you can trace those people back to somehow Barnabas. And can I, as we talk about being missions-focused, you may not say, man, I can go to the missions field. I'm not going to go to the jungles of Peru. I don't even have some extra dollars to give. Can I tell you that if you are good, you are full of the Holy Spirit, and you are full of faith, you can have a great impact in the kingdom of God just within the little sphere of people that you have around you. Let's keep going. Verse 25, it says, Then Barnabas 
went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a full year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. So the church has to be Christ-centered. It's got to be missions-focused, and it's got to be biblically established. Timothy states that all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. You see in this moment, you see Barnabas and Saul coming back to the church. After Barnabas goes to Tarsus, they come back to Antioch and they meet and they teach the church. And I have to believe that these weren't just how was your day type conversations. I have to believe that these were moments where they opened the Bible or opened uh, the book of the law and they, were, they, they got deeply rooted in scripture, they got deeply rooted in discipleship type conversations. So can I make this point this morning that as we talk about being biblically established, church goes beyond Sunday morning. You see, we have tools at Generations Church that we try to send out. But it's simply that, it's a tool. When we talk about Fuel 15 that we send out at the beginning of every month to enhance our quiet time, when we talk about connect groups, when we talk about life happening in circles more than it happens in rows, those are vitally important to the growth of you spiritually and the growth of the church. But why? Because it is the only way that you can become biblically established. And why is it vitally important? So that we are thoroughly equipped for every good work. Thoroughly equipped. You know, I, I think about this soldier running into battle. And they're just charging the front line of the opposition. And they're going and they're going. And then they get there and they go to reach for their weapon and it's not there. Now what? We as the body of believers have the weapon that does not return void. And I pray that you will not rush into battle without your weapon. We've got to be biblically established. You so I'm one of those so I'm one of those nerdy guys. I don't know if you guys can see these on camera or uh, maybe you can. Uh, these are the instruction manuals for all those people who open a, uh, a new board game and throw them away. Uh, this is Scrabble and Stratego, if you're wondering. Just I'm, I'm that nerd. Okay. But you can ask my wife. I am like... I open a board game and the first thing I reach for is the instruction manual. Before I open any bag of pieces, before I crack the board open, I go for the instruction manual and I read every single word. Every word. And if you're one of those folks like my father-in-law who just throws them away and makes up your own rules, <laughs> you drive people like us crazy, you miss the fact that usually on like the back page or the last page, there's like tips and tricks for how to be successful. I was reading, uh, I was teaching Mason Stratego just the other day. And he says, well, why do you do that? And I said, well, son, let me see. 
and you laugh. But the same is true of our Bibles. We have this powerful encounter with Jesus. We know that he's moving and transforming our lives. And we come up against a situation or a circumstance that we're a little unsure of. And we say, well, how am I supposed to get past that? And we've thrown away the instruction manual. How do we expect for the gospel to truly be the good news if we're not willing to read the instructions? You see, I don't want any surprises. I don't want there to be uh, scenarios in the game that I'm unfamiliar with. And I don't know about you, but if you read the Bible, it pretty much covers everything that I've walked through in life. I don't know about yours. It talks about all the questions that I've got. It talks about all the circumstances that I've faced. And so we can be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Verse 27, he says, During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem and Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit, catch that, through the Spirit, predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. The next thing the church has got to be is we've got to be Spirit-inspired. We've got to be Spirit-led. The way Agabus found to be led by the Spirit, not just because He is our comfort and our guide, as we discussed earlier, not because He should be orchestrating our, not just because He should be orchestrating our steps, but because of Acts 1:8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I think back to this soldier mentality again, and we, and so now we're charging battle, right? We're charging in battle. We've got our weapon this time, and we're ready to go. But you're not going to put uh, uh, somebody who's like 5'3", 106 pounds soaking wet on the front line. You want somebody who's big and strong and powerful, right? And so how do we get that as believers? Well, it's being spirit-inspired. It's being spirit-inspired. Inspi uh, you see, when he moves in power, we become great witnesses all over to the areas of greatest need in the kingdom. You see, uh, or we go back to the, the passage of Scripture in chapter 10 where Peter has his vision and experience. And uh, you note it, you'll notice that he talks about both the baptism in water and the baptism in the Holy Spirit. But his emphasis is not on the baptism in water. His emphasis is on the baptism of the Holy Spirit because the baptism of water is an initial indication of what God is doing in you. But the baptism of the Holy Spirit is the only thing that's going to push you through. There is power and there is might in the Holy Spirit. And why is this? Is, is, it's because when we're spirit-led and spirit-inspired, we begin to walk in the will of God. And we begin to see the manifestations of signs, wonders, and miracles. Can I tell you that as we witness the things that we have witnessed going on in our church, we've seen uh, uh, numerous medically verified healings and the like going on here, right here in Generations Church, and we praise God for those things. 
But can I tell you that uh, my belief is this. The reason we're seeing manifestations of signs, wonders, and miracles is not just because God wants to just do it. I believe this. I believe there is power and might in, in the Holy Spirit of God. And as we walk in obedience and in the will of God, we open the door for the manifestations of signs, wonders, and miracles. And can I tell you that as we begin to walk in that obedience or continue to walk in that uh, obedience, it's only the beginning. The Bible says he will do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine. I don't know about you. I'm ready for more. I'm, I'm looking forward to more. You know, when I was a cross-country coach, uh, it, it, there's the starting gun and there's the finish line, right? And uh, our, our runners, they would get so pumped up, so energized, they would get so anxious at the starting line that they would run up to the finish or the starting line and they're waiting for the gun to go off, right? They're waiting, they're waiting, the gun doesn't go off. And what do they do? In their anxiousness, because they're so excited for that one moment, they fall over the line and they're disqualified. And as believers, we have got to find ourselves avoiding the, avoiding the desire for a moment. And we've got to seek after the finish line. You see, it's not about the starting gun. It's not about the initial healing. It's not about the initial sign. It's not about the initial wonder. It's not about just my circumstance. But it's about the power of the Holy Spirit finding himself within the walls of this church and the manifestation for every man, woman, and child to experience the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not the starting gun. It's the finish line. Worship team, you can come. Let's close this thing out. Acts chapter 11, verse 29 and 30. The disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. You see, it's just like we talked about when we talked about uh, how to avoid religiosity. But we've got to be outreach driven. We've got to be outreach driven. You see this moment, you see this moment where the disciples step up. They just got a word from the Holy Spirit that said there's a famine coming. And their response is that they send help to their brothers and sisters in Judea. You see, when we're spirit inspired, we can identify the need. And when we're outreach driven, we can meet the need. And if that's not the DNA of our church, then we've got to stop holding on to the gospel because that's the only way that people outside of these walls who are never going to step foot in these doors are ever going to know the power of Jesus. There's a hurting, broken world. And our culture isn't going to make it any better. We'd rather argue about how to deal with things or argue over what politician is going to fix it or uh, have these great debates over what religious practice is better. There's one thing I know that destroys all of those arguments. God helps broken people. He wants us to be the rescue line. We're literally creating ministries in our church because it is the DNA of Generations Church 
to meet the needs. We're creating things like GC Reach so we can go out so others can hear the gospel. We're going to be on campus helping with move-in in a few weeks. If you've got some free time on, on move-in weekend, uh, come see one of us. We'll get you hooked up with GC Reach because we want college students to know not just that there's a church in Tallahassee for them, but that there is a Savior in heaven who died for them. We've created GC families because there are broken families in our culture that desperately need the gospel to infiltrate their homes. There are orphans, foster children, kids waiting for adoption. And like Pastor Brian said, we celebrate some of the decisions of our government recently that say that every life matters. But if we believe that as the church, we've got to step up and be outreach driven. We've got street hope. We've got others. And can I ask you this question when I talk about being outreach driven? If Jesus is good enough for me, is he good enough for somebody else? I thank you again for your faithfulness in giving. We cannot do what we do at Generations Church without your faithfulness. But here's what I know in an evaluation of my generation. We spend a lot of time faithfully throwing money at problems, hoping that there's going to be somebody else who makes a solution. And I just felt like God put this in my spirit when we talk about being outreach-driven We've got to get in the mud a little bit. We've got to do the work. I was reminded, so I used to coach baseball. And uh, when it rains or pours like it does in Tallahassee, the clay on a baseball field does not do well. And I was, just, I was reminded of this moment where, you know, you'd have like one guy out there taking a bag of quick dry it's kind of like kitty litter, it, it soaks up water. And you just pour the bag out there on the water and hope that it dries up. And what is the solution? You have a big pile of quick dry in the middle of your field. But instead, the only way to get the field in playing condition was to roll up your pants, take your shoes off, and about four or five of us would go put our feet in the mud. And we'd go get our rakes and, we'd, and shovels and we'd start scooping it up and getting it out of there. Why? Because temporary solutions are great. But if we're going to be outreach driven as a church, we've got to do some work. We've got to get in the mud. I'm not telling you to stop giving. I'm telling you to give more and do the work. We were here just a few weeks ago doing a GC Families event. We open up our church um, for our local foster care agency to come and do trainings because foster parents have to take continuing education classes. And there was a group of us who volunteered to, to uh, do the child care so that these families could come. You want to talk about brokenhearted we're all standing around waiting for dinner to show up. And a DCF worker walks in with two little kids and finds one of the foster parents taking this training and says, here you go, here's your two new foster kids. And leaves. So what were we able to do as Generations Church? We were able to wrap our arms around this around this mother who just received a circumstance that she could not even wrap her head around in the moment. 
And we were able to give her diapers and wipes and to help her take the two kids because she, she seemed so overwhelmed in the moment. You say, Brad, why do you tell me that story? I tell you this, because if we would have paid somebody else for childcare, there wouldn't have been anybody there to do the work. But instead, this mother, this foster mom felt the love of Jesus because we had some folks who were willing to give a few hours on a Monday night. It was nothing more than time. Are we going to be the church? Are we going to be the church? You see, I told you that there's an odd correlation between the things that will keep us faithful and the DNA of the church. Matter of fact, I don't know if you noticed, they were in different order, but they were exactly the same. The things that keep us out of our religious tradition are the things that allow us as the church to embody the love and faithfulness of Jesus. And at what point do we say we're done with the religious games? We're done with just playing church and embrace that there's a Savior in heaven that is good enough for every man, woman, and child. Would you stand with me? The Bible says that for God so loved the world, he gave his only son that no man should perish but have everlasting life. That is the embodiment of the gospel. And you might be standing here this morning and you may say, you know what, I've, I've, never, I've never really fully given my heart to Jesus. I played this church game for a little while. I've, I've kind of done the religious thing, but today is my day. And I will encourage you that today is your day. So with heads bowed and eyes closed, I'm going to pray with you. And if that's you this morning, if you just put your hand up in the air. If you're here and you're saying, I'm done playing the religious game, I am here to accept salvation in Jesus because he loved me enough. And through Peter's message that, God, that Jesus is for everybody, I accept the love of Jesus in my life today. God, I thank you for every hand that was raised in this place. God, I thank you and worship you for the work that you've done in their hearts and in their lives today, God. And I pray as they, as they call out to you in this moment, Lord, as they pray a simple prayer that says, God, I have sinned, I have fallen short, but you died and rose again so that I could spend eternity with you. Lord, we celebrate that decision today. We worship you. God, we give you all glory and honor today. But maybe that's not you today. Maybe you say, I'm walking through a situation or a circumstance or, you know, these things that you talk about, they just don't hit home with me because I'm walking through some things and I'm working through some things. Can I tell you that that's okay? It's okay to hurt. But today what I am going to do is I'm going to give an opportunity for the church to be the church. So if you're walking through some things this morning, the worship team's about to sing. And if that's you, I want you to come down to this altar. And you're going to be surrounded by a whole bunch of people that just love Jesus. 
and they are going to pray with you. They're going to pray for you. And they are going to they are going to embrace you knowing that the church is going to walk through whatever this situation is. Because Jesus is for everybody. So as the as the worship team sings, if you would come, if you would find a place in this altar, you say, Brad, I'm going through some things. I'm hurting. I feel lost. If that's you, if you would just find a place as the worship team sings. And then the church is going to be the church. We thank you. God, we worship you this morning. God, we thank you. We thank you for your example of love. God, and we thank you for being the foundation of the church. God, we pray that you would be the cornerstone not only of Generations Church, but as the, of the global church, God. And we thank you, Lord, that as we seek you, we find you, Lord. And that we are reminded, Lord, that every good and perfect gift is from you. And so, Lord, I thank you for restoration. I thank you for healing and wholeness. God, I thank you, Lord, that you work out situations in our lives for your good. Lord, and we give you praise, glory, and honor. Lord, I thank you, God, for every ministry here at Generations Church. God, for every nursery worker, to every, uh, to every worship leader, to every production uh, person. God, I thank you, God, for every uh, children's church worker, for every youth uh, volunteer. God, I thank you, Lord. I thank you, God. Lord, we pray for the ministries of Generations Church, God, and we pray that our best days are not behind us but ahead of us. God, and we pray that you would open doors that no man can open, that you would close doors that no man can shut. God, I thank you for a fresh anointing for every pastor and leader in our midst, God, and we just pray. God, we pray, Lord, that you would empower them to walk us into the greatest days of Generations Church. God, but let you be at the center of it all. God, let us be biblically established. Let us be missions focused. God, let us be spirit inspired. And let us do the work of being outreach driven. God, we thank you, Lord. We pray that you seal it in our hearts today. We give you all praise, glory, and honor. And if you believe it, would you give God a hand clap of praise today? Thank you for listening to the Generations Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the message today and pray God's greatest blessings on you. For more information about Generations Church and its ministries, check out our webpage at gctlh.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter.